listeners, this is Punk Theology. PunkTheology.com is our website. Episode 16, Season 1. How do we process the heartache that we will experience in this life when it comes to shame and embarrassment? from the Punk Theology playlist on Spotify, and that is the awesome band, The Biters. Oh yeah, this is one of those topics that could be light in the embarrassment category, and it's got some heavy roots to it in the shame area in, in talking about that, especially when it comes to theology, right? Like who's forgiven, who's still guilty or, you know, there, there's just a lot in our heads to process when it comes to these two topics. The truth is we tend to talk to ourselves the most, right? Psychologists call this cognitions. Um, we can also be our own worst enemy. And I'm curious, as a curious boy doing a podcast with five other curious boys and a girl in this here podcast you're about to hear, Misha, Derek's wife, uh, enters into the table. Yes, thank you. We're progressive, right? (laughs) My point is, all those feelings and self-talk that may get stirred up as you listen to this podcast, would you share those with us? That stuff rattling around in your brain that doesn't quite get out? Uh, We'd love to hear from you. PunkTheologyPodcast at gmail.com Or you could tweet us, tweet at us, go for it. It's at PunkTheologyPodcast on Twitter, or join the Facebook conversation, Punk Theology Pub on Facebook, or at Punk Theology on Facebook. I say that not just to promote our thing, but I know what it's like to have like undigested stuff right down in there, like bad pizza or something, just sitting in there, those thoughts and emotions stewing and it just feels like not getting it out is like something you gotta let it out and something must break something must break something must break something must break yeah something must break something must break something must break What I think is funny about our particular growing up is that there is this vindictive God saying, mm-hmm. you know, so you get the flat tire and it's like, 
Oh shit, I must have sinned. Yes. What was it? Exactly. You know, what did I do to deserve, you know, the flat tire? And I went through that a lot with the sexual abuse. It's like, what the hell did I do to deserve any of that? So I don't I was eight years old in the neighborhood. There was an older kid, and, and uh, every time he'd see me, he'd say, Carter, get over here. Get down here and kiss my feet. Probably to kick your ass. So I would get down on my knees, and I would kiss his feet as a six, seven, eight-year-old. Can you define something for me? Because the two stories that you just told, the first one, where you punch your sister in the back, like for, for me, if I had done something like that, I would have described that feeling of remorse as guilt. Whereas the second story with, with finding the porn, I would have defined that feeling as shame. You are not your thoughts. And when we become associated and attached to our thoughts, and to where they own us, we don't think of our mind as a separate entity or a separate thing. Like apart from ourselves, we tend to really associate with the mind for some reason. But you don't have control over the things that come in your head. All right, welcome to Punk Theology, the show that exists because none of us know how to play instruments or have any good singing voice. Well, punk, you don't need to have a good singing voice to, That's to do or punk, play an instrument. I played a little instrument. I have a couple guitar chords. So. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. You, you gotta come and play them C now. C I think it's all you need to know. You yeah. can play everything. Just play right? as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. C, D, and G. Praise songs. Oh, Lord have mercy. There are only three chords. So, have you guys ever... What instrument is it? The mandolin? Randy Rhodes plays. That guy was so talented, man. It was a super... He was going to uh, do uh, study classical guitar. I heard like Ozzy in an interview saying that he was interested in going to school yeah. to learn you know, classical guitar. And, yeah, tragedy, man. Randy Rhodes. If you don't know who that is, Google Randy Rhodes. If you don't know who that is, you're going off the rails on a crazy train. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Guitar and that song just. <laughs> the beginning part of your your Google search should be punk theology, and it'll come right up. Yeah, there you go. Um, there's a cool. So him and his son Jack did a show called Ozzy and Jack's World Tour. Have you guys heard about yep, that? I heard about yep. that. It's, it's really bit. cool. And, and Jack has some kind of congenital disease. Like he might die early. He's all into Muay Thai too. Like he kind of can oh, yeah. kick your ass if he wanted to. But that was part Whoa, of it. Was, there's an eruption right there. <laughs> was, um, uh, he like knows how to do Muay Thai. He's pretty badass. One of the cool scenes from that show is they go into this National Archives, which is inside of a mountain somewhere. Like the National Archives where in case there's a nuclear blast, all this stuff is secure. It's saved to bounce off our last episode. <laughs> it got saved inside this mountain, but there's a there's a recording on a tape they loaded up of Crazy Train that's in the National Archives. It brought Ozzy to tears because that's Randy Rhodes in there. Like that is frozen in time because that guy's guitar playing will never be duplicated again ever. Yeah. Anyway, to Randy Rhodes. To Randy Rhodes. There you go. <laughs> we, uh, we'll call that one of the saints of punk theology right there. We just, we just named our first saint. <laughs> saint Rand. Uh, saint Jack Osborne is MS. 
Oh, okay. That's what it is. Yeah, that's right. So our topic today is uh, embarrassment and shame. It's also kind of bouncing off our last. We just did the what salvation was the last episode, episode fifteen. This being episode sixteen. This is a, a topic that Steve and I kind of voted on this one. This was our... We came in last. Like, uh, of course we did. <laughs> of course we did. So, Steve, I'll hand it to you. And why uh, Why embarrassment and shame? Why is that uh, uh, the topic of... Is there a question? Let's formulate a question based on that. What? What is, is the question? Is what you do, right or wrong, produce guilt and shame... And what do you do to mask it? Mm. Good segue from our last episode. Sorry. No, that's good. Because that's where I am. That's why that, when you hit that. So how do you answer that? How do you answer your own question? It's a process for me. No, oh, come on. Give me something. How do you mask it? How do you mask it, hide it, Yeah. the shame? Past or present? No, yeah. Present. What are you going through? Now, you move through? I'm being a lot more honest. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm coming out. Uh... I met with a buddy the other night for coffee, and I told I was telling him stuff. I I've told you all, but I hadn't told others in the in the in the faith. And he just he's kind of looking at me, and he goes, "Wow, really?" I said, "Yeah. I mean, I'm just tired of fighting it. I'm tired of hiding it. I'm tired of pretending that it didn't isn't there by being better, trying to be better." And that's so funny because in in as I was reading Galatians, that's what he Paul's telling the Galatian church is that. You guys are just falling right back into the same trap again. You beat your heads against the wall. You work your butt off to try and be good, and you're still not good. Yeah, but but I'm trying to hear what makes Steve tick. Where's Steve at? And and you're kind of speaking in more generalities. And maybe you don't want to go somewhere personal, and that's fine. But specifically, what do you? Uh, specifically, I'm asking you specifically. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you talked about going through the book of Galatians in the right. message translation. Where is that hitting you, Steve, in the heart? That I don't have to work at being loved. Mm-hmm. I am loved. I've worked for my whole freaking life to be loved. From the time I was young as I can remember, to be loved. To be loved by others, loved by yeah. God, loved by others, and there go God. And guilt and shame was a component of that. Yeah, because every time I figured that if if I did something that wasn't good cool, enough, good enough, then the shame hit, and gotcha. the guilt hit. And that's what I'm coming out of that, realizing that. Uh, and I tried to, pr- I masked that by anger, you know. And Seth was saying that that was energy. Well, it was energy in the fact that I guess, but for me, it was more of a defense. Because I don't want people in there. I don't want people to see, you know, how fucked up I really was inside. Right. And so the, why did you believe that worked? Why didn't it? I why did it? you believe that worked? I mean, presumably because that's what I was taught. You were raised in. I was always raised, but it's. I think it does work Social in norm. the season. I mean, it's when you had said that. You yeah, were just, short term. You were just done with the trying to hide the guilt and shame. That's where I got. Um, I just got to this point where I'm done hiding the fact that I was abused as a kid. And that's a, you know, Susan from Group, she talks about the monkey. I'm carrying around a fucking elephant, it seemed like. And when you start to share your story and you start to realize that you don't need to carry around an elephant, it turns into a gorilla and then it turns into the monkey. And eventually it's a fucking gnat you just squeeze like a little. Yeah. 
insect or a chihuahua. I use the analogy of a chihuahua. What used to be an eight hundred pound gorilla standing behind me is now like a little yappy chihuahua. And yeah, and I just I got I was just tired of carrying around that weight. For me too, it was understanding that God knew that God knows that, and coming to the understanding that I'm still in process with is that, and He still loves me. That's when I quote feel like I got saved. I was 50 years old. You know, I said the prayer when I was 16 years old, and so I baptized when I was 18. What were you saved from? Believing I had to perform to work, I had to work to uh, earn love from God, from even from. I felt like Jesus was like a big brother. Uh, you know, it's. I get it. It's not right. I get it. But now it's. I get it. I still love you. And I love you. I knew. I mean, that's. Is that the worst? Maybe this is really postmodern, but when you say Big Brother, I think of the reality show where there's cameras on you all the time. And I relate to some of that, too. Like, you know, I was taught that, like, Sunday school. Like, Jesus is always watching. Yeah. You know, he's like yeah. Santa Claus, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to be naughty or nice. He's got a list. And he's checking it twice. He'll check it twice. That's right. Look busy. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> but how much of our theology is based on... Santa Claus, right? Didn't we have someone in our, our community group who will go unnamed who had the elf on the shelf? And that just lit me up like a fucking firecracker. I'm like, what that satanic evil little elf sitting on the shelf watching your kids? Does that make sense? Like, that is horrible. Yes, it does. But I don't know if I'm hearing what makes Steve tick, where, where Steve's wound is. And I'm not prying I, as much no, as I'm just... I might not know yet either. So when you say, when you talk about guilt and shame, what I'm hearing you say is the source of that is not measuring up. Like like Chuck, for example, like like the, like his wound is very, you know, out. That's very, oh, I know what that is. I can point to that. He talks about it. But you, I'm hearing you talk in more generalities, though, if that makes any sense. And again, not prying. No, no, no. I'm not sure that I am there. I mean, I, that I even know what that is yet. Um, I just remember growing up, there were several times when I remember my dad would, I would do something, and my dad would say, what's the matter with you? So when you talk about being angry, what were you angry about? Anything that I couldn't control. So control's a thing. Yeah. Is it still? Not as much. I'm letting a lot of it go. How does the control or lack thereof relate to guilt and shame? Because if I could control the scenario or the situation, that usually meant that there were the, the, it would turn out as I intended it to, to turn out, and thereby I'm okay. Mm. But if I'm on my way somewhere and I have a flat tire, that did not go well mm. for the tire or the car or the jack or the trunk or my wife who happened to be in the car with me. Because what did it mean when you had that flat tire? That... I was I was a screw up. I'd you were under, up. you were unprepared. I was un well yeah. I mean and, and I I didn't think shit happened mm. because I always thought you know if you did it right you know if you if you read this your Bible expectation enough, that things would fall well, in place. Yeah. Yeah. that's what I think is funny about our particular growing ups um, is that there is this vindictive God 
So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, so it's, you get the flat tire, and it's like, oh, shit, I must have sinned. Yes. What was it? Exactly. You know, what did I do to deserve, you know, the flat tire? And I went through that a lot with the sexual abuse. It's like, what the hell did I do to deserve mm -hmm. any of that? Yeah. Or if I couldn't do something that I thought I should God be able to do. The perfect plan. Oh, it's so bullshit. Going back to what you said, Steve, um, when you said your dad, so how old were you when your dad kind of got down, looked you in the eyes and said, what's wrong with you? Can you it happened probably yourself? from the time I was 10. Oh, no. So it was just kind of a, a lot. But I would Screw throw it. a shit fit. When did, it, when did you feel it the most where you can say it, it made you feel? Probably went into college. And I was also told that I was enough to make a preacher cuss because I would do something or say something my dad would say. My dad would swear and I'd say, don't cuss. And he'd go, well, you're, enough to make the you're enough to make a preacher cuss. And I know his intention, well, I'm assuming his intention wasn't, but as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid, he's going to internalize that. And think, well, I am a piece of shit. Right. You know, and uh, for me, it's coming to that realization that I am not a piece of shit. Well, if I could take you to that moment where your dad said that to you where, when you were in college. Was mm -hmm. it on the phone? Can you place yourself? Can you bring yourself to It was scene? probably in college talking with other guys, other friends. Um, Just unpacking yeah. how that felt? Yeah. How did it feel? Worthless. Mm -hmm. I felt worthless. You felt value. You had no value. And that's why I strived my whole life for value. I strived it with women. I figured if I could just get the right girl friend. And I got that right girlfriend. And then once I had the right girlfriend, she was no longer the right girlfriend because I got her. <laughs> yeah. You know, it didn't matter who she was. And that was one of the, and I didn't even realize that. And that gave you a sense of value, right? For about Made you feel five valuable. minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then the realization hit me that, well, I got her, so there must be something wrong with her mm. if I could get her. And again, that's that was my story up to fifty years old, and it was. Just I'm one sorry, night. dude. You're you're a valuable. That was guy. my. That's my. I would consider that little T. Yeah. Well. You know, it is what it, it is. It is. Yeah. It's to minimize it. It's like that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Low. No, and, and it's I, not just low grade. I don't. Even, I, don't even, I I wince a little bit when when Derek said it too. It's like, you know, there's a reason why they torture people with drips of water, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's something the long drawn out process of emotional torture is more than just low grade. It's it's very real, and it fucks with people, man. Well, and then you piggyback that on when I was about seven years old, eight years old. I these are these are memories that are just starting to come back as I just pray and ask, you know, God, show me back or some stuff, and. Uh, I was eight years old in the neighborhood. There was an older kid, and he seemed older at the time. He could have been a year older. He was older. And uh, every time he'd see me, he'd say, Carter, get over here. And I, a little skinny kid with in vogue glasses now, but back in the 60s it wasn't. And he'd say, get out here and kiss my feet. And I'd, or I'm going to kick your ass. So I would get down on my knees, and I would kiss his feet as a six, seven, eight-year-old. I remember the age. Every time. And every time I saw that kid, I still remembered that. I remember I asked my mom, uh, this was just a couple years ago, and I kind of remembered that scenario, and I asked my mom, I said, when did I become this little punk-ass kid with a lip and behavior issues? And she goes, well, you know, it was, it was Pennsylvania, and you were about, uh, I don't know, nine years old. And I said, let me tell you about it. 
and I can trace it back because that's when I started acting out. And then you piggyback the other stuff. And see, they didn't know because I didn't want to share that. Because mm. I figured dad would get involved and, and then this guy would find out and he'd come and kick the shit out of me. Because I, I weighed 130 pounds graduating from high school. I mean, I was a wimp. A was your dad alive at that time? Yeah. Dad just passed about five years ago. Did you talk to him about that? Um, no, because I just kind of come out of, into this area. I would talk to him right now about it. But at that point, I just don't, I wasn't at a place where I felt like I was even aware of a lot of this stuff. I wasn't aware of that until after he had passed. Okay. My mom told me, she goes, well, I'm sorry, son, I'm sorry, Steve. Why didn't you tell us? And well, you know, I, that's what we did. You know, we just dealt with it. Half the shit that happens when you're a kid, you just assume is normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, why didn't you say anything? Oh. I've only had one life and I was yeah. little. Exactly. And a lot of it might did. be normal. That was a big thing for me in recovery when I started unpacking my childhood and people would look at me like I'm looking at Steve, I'm still a little rock by your story and you're you're a valuable, awesome dude. As you sit there smiling, you're like I love you, man. You know? Not just saying that as a cheesy fucking thing, but you're a valuable, interesting, well rounded person. And thank you. Going back to when I was in recovery, when people would go, I would just unpack stories like that. And someone would say, man, I'm really sorry that that happened to you, Russ. And I'm like, why? Listen, this is normal. Like, this is kind of... You mean, that was, didn't happen to yeah, you? That didn't happen to you? Like, what the fuck? And then, and then sexual abuse, you know, and unpacking that. And it's not just the abuse. Like, you were, you were, when you were saying to Chuck about the abuse, it's... Then I was asked the question, okay, so you went back for it. Where were your parents? Where was your dad when you were going back for it, right? So having to, to visit that is, it, it was hard, but it was also, you know, it, it's not that you're living in the past. And I hate it when people say that. Well, why live in the past? And I used to say that. Or I'm not a victim. Oh, I hated the fucking victim mentality. I'm not a fucking victim. Don't call me a victim. Yeah. And you know what? I was a victim. Mm. That shouldn't happen to me. No. Your bully shouldn't tell you to kiss his feet. That shouldn't yeah. happen to a little kid. In, you know, it's fucked up. In many ways, it's that type of abuse is the worst type of especially verbal abuse like that, because they talk about this with racism. Racism will drive you crazy because you can never pin anybody to racism. They say something racist, and you go like, like holy shit, was that racist? And then, and but they can always back off of it. Like no, 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 no you just misinterpreted. I'm that. not racist. Right. So, so it's this subtle uh, gaslighting, mm-hmm. right? Like no, 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 no. Like you're crazy. Like that wasn't racist. Right. Like and it's the same with verbal abuse. Like no, 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 no. That wasn't verbal abuse. That's oh, I'm you. just playing around. That's you right. being oversensitive, right? It's yeah. it's actually your fault. Right. It's something about you that's broken. You be so sensitive that 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 you can't take a joke, right? But you know, like, but you can also tell, like, no, they're they were they're being assholes. And my yeah. sister talks about this, like, she has women that come in whose husbands or spouses or whatever have been verbally abusive to them for years and years and years, and they come in and their faces all beat up oh. and they're crying with relief. That he finally hit me, and now I can get a restraining order. Right. 
because I couldn't prove a fucking thing for years. And and thank God he finally hit me because I can get out of this fucking relationship. And that's, yeah, so the verbal stuff is just so terrible. How do we raise the next generation to not wait for that? Because that is a long-standing story. I mean, that, that story's not just our generation. That that goes back to the baby boomers. That goes back to the greatest generation. Like that's a women's place in the world is to wait until it gets so bad and then it's okay for her to leave. Well, we happen to have a woman in the room for the first time. Uh, yes, Misha pre- just walked in a little earlier, so uh, Misha, Derek's welcome here. Welcome to Hi, Misha. Welcome to Punk Theology. See, this isn't a freaking sausage fest. <laughs> I told you. That's right. Thanks for, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. He's back. What do you think of this as a woman listening from the outside? I, I know that there's women that listen, but what, what do you... How do you this this craziness? What what's your what's your what was your first impression? Maybe honestly, it's refreshing. It's nice to to listen to a group of dudes who don't just talk about cars and I don't know sports. Sports. No, it's good, and it and I think a lot of the the issues that you guys tackle and that you bring to light are not just dudes' issues. Like there are things that women deal with too. And uh, and so it's it's nice to hear that some things are across the board gender irrelevant. Yeah, um, that's true. And you were when when I met you was through the community group. Yeah. That at first uh, John was leading. Derek was leading. Do you think Derek was leading at first, mm-hmm. and then it split. But yeah, you were always someone who wasn't real shocked by me. So I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the Christian community group, I was there. She was a junior high teacher, right? And I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was processing some deep shit. I was kind of like where Chuck is now, just going to this community group, and everybody's like wanting to study the Bible and stuff like that. And I'm like, what the fuck are we doing this? You know, just questions like that. And I had, uh, and, and every other word was fuck or shit or something like that. And I, I shook up some people, but you weren't one of them, which I appreciate. Um, and then no, nobody was really too shook up. Everybody was cool, but... I don't know. You've just always had really insightful things to say, and and you know. Oh, thanks. So yeah. Well, yeah. I'm gonna throw no, that no pressure now. So say something. <laughs> yeah, say, say something insightful. Say something really insightful. Yeah. Now, now that I've had now you're put on the spot. <laughs> now that you My know everything. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So welcome. Thanks. Misha and Misha and Derek. How long have you guys been married? Nine years. How many? How did you meet? <laughs> Do you want the... <laughs> the, the topic, keep, keep in mind the topic is embarrassment and shame. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you want to hear me? No. Okay, cool. So, um, well, uh, Derek and I met through a mutual friend who Derek was kind of dating at the time. She was a friend of mine from high school. Um, and they, they'd met in college. <laughs> They met in college through a dance group, and and I and she was also my salsa buddy. Um, so she and I would go out salsa dancing together, and she said, "I want to bring this guy along. I'm really interested in him, and I want to know what you think." And uh, I was dating someone else at the time, really nice Jewish guy, um, <laughs> and uh, and so I wasn't, you know, looking for anything beyond, "Oh, let's see if he's good enough for my friends." 
and we met and we talked and we got to know each other and within I don't know within an hour I knew I actually went home that weekend and told my dad I met this guy and I have a feeling he's going to be a really important part of my life for a long time. <laughs> uh, shortly after that, I realized that this nice Jewish guy I was dating was not somebody I wanted to be with, as nice and Jewish as he was. Um, and so I ended that relationship and about a week later, Derek and I started our relationship because he was such a good friend in my time of need, you know, I was going to this breakup and he was just there right there, for right, right there, right there. Right there. Catch your man. <laughs> just, just waiting for him. <laughs> no, Are you ready to end the nine year rebound? <laughs> <laughs> it was good that Thanks, we started, <laughs> we started with a, a really solid friendship, um, and, uh, and that was helpful in telling our mutual friend slash girl that Derek was seeing um, that I was stealing her boyfriend and planned to continue to steal her boyfriend and wasn't ashamed of it. So like, <laughs> it, was, it was good though. I called her and said, just so you know, we've decided to start dating and I wanted to be the one to tell you. I didn't want you to find out any other way. Nice. Shameless. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> How'd she take it? That was, that, I think yeah. that was the, the most... Um, the most eager I've been for conflict in my entire life because I knew the end goal was worth it. She actually took it really well. She's very mature we're still and we're still friends. Oh, cool. She met a wonderful guy. They're very happily married. Like nice. All good things came from it, um, which just goes to show that one shouldn't always be afraid of conflict. Right. How was your family? My family loves Derek. Mary, outside of the faith? Well, so my dad was the only one who's Jewish. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, so my That's dad was cool. Jewish. My mom was, was is Lutheran, um, and my dad wasn't a practicing Jew. Okay. And I didn't actually delve into Judaism until college. Um, and I actually had my bat mitzvah like three weeks after I met Derek, and he was the only friend who came. I just met him like. Two or three weeks before. Well, catch your good job. Always focus. Yeah, and then uh, actually, I was really excited. I had never been to a mat mitzvah, and I thought it would be super interesting. So I had. Because you were this Christian kid who was like, yeah, I was genuinely interested. Yeah, and it was was super cool. No, it's just as cool as I thought it was gonna be. It was fun. Yeah, we even did the whole like picking people up on chairs, and yeah, it was pretty cool. Um. Yeah, and then a couple months after that, I started going to Marcel, so... <laughs> All right. What um, year was that? 2006. 2006. So you were in Ballard? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's about yeah. the time I started That's going. That's what I was going there, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Ballard. Who's the Gritty Ballard. It was a, so a bunch of different bands. Okay, because when I started there, well, Kim, I'm so glad Kim's I didn't say they were Yeah, uh-huh. Kim Strike Force, so I just... Okay. Like, they were just, uh, just about to split and do the other thing. So. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. No, that was interesting. Yeah. I was curious. There was something Mark used to say about uh, functional saviors and functional hell, which was something that I thought was pretty funny, and it pointed to... It pointed to embarrassment and shame a little bit, and it always has me thinking, especially when I see these like late night shows where they're advertising some product, and it's almost like like he was talking about, like here's this person in functional hell, right? And they're trying to mop the floor, for example. And usually their hair is a mess, right? They're in sweatpants, and they're trying. Is it black and white? And they're scrubbing the, the mop as it work. And like then they an get, idiot. they like get the idiot. mop. Yeah, like they get never the, seen a mop before in their yeah. lives. And then. It, <laughs> And then they're advertising new mops. So here's Savior, right? 
We've got your Savior. Here's the gospel of Numop. And then guess what? She's wearing, you know, a, a dress, and her hair is perfect. It's all in color. Big smile on her face. Using the new mop. It's always a woman, With one hand, sadly. One hand. Anyway, we think we've escaped the 50s. We haven't escaped the 50s. Watch late night reality fucking infomercials. It's the 50s with a polka dot dress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the polka dot dress is gone. It's something more modern, but you have the same idea. But I thought that was a really good example, psychologically, of the savior complex as it exists in people. And then you, and then you get into these, like, Fashion. We brought up fashion, I think, on the last episode or the episode before last. Anyway, but if you're not wearing the new thing, you're no, you know, no. Like you should feel shame for wearing that, especially with women. It's it's. Well, advertising the whole thing is about making people feel deficient. <laughs> you yeah, know, and you, you you're missing something that you need to be fulfilled, to be complete, to be whole. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, that goes to that functional savior thing for sure. It's and then we look at denominational faith or the social norm of how the Christian faith has kind of turned out in this country. And it's, it's sort of like that. Like, that was what was cool about the community group, too, was there's a lot of people that I wouldn't probably have anything to do with had it not been for the church and what we shared um, on, a, on a deeper level, on a foundational level, to use that word, on a fundamental level, dare I say, <laughs> where we were all sharing something that was a little more than the Seahawks or whatever, you know, white person. Chit-chat, banter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of community groups like that. There's a lot of Bible studies like that, where you just go to Bible study, we're going to read the Bible. Well, it should mean something. There shouldn't there be some meaning to what you're reading? Like, how does it affect your life? Mm -hmm. I think my the the definition I'm working with for shame is really just being vulnerable with someone who's not safe. Mm. Is really what shame is. Mm. It's showing up a weakness about yourself, something that's kind of ugly, and but it's but it's it's part of your identity it's really who you are and you just forgot to hide it right and 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 that person who you're with is not a safe person and they're just waiting for you to fuck up the interesting thing is it's that definition to me is flawed in that it has nothing to do with the other person whether they're safe because you're the one that gives them the power that's true. to be unsafe that's true that's fear right right because for instance um let's Let's say it's your dad. Like, that relationship's super complicated. And at some point, a lot of people break away, and their dad's no longer unsafe because their dad no longer has power over them. And you're talking, like, a, a new friend who you don't have a deep relationship with, there's very little shame with them. The only shame that's with them is whatever you give them, the power, the power for you to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because it's, it's your response that makes you feel shameful, not theirs. They can be an asshole. That doesn't make you feel shame, right? I think you're right. I think, yeah, it may not be... The relationship isn't necessary. It may just be within yourself, all of a sudden a weakness, a vulnerability comes up. And because you have a standard that believes that that's not okay, this is where my my thing of engaging with the idea of perfection as dangerous comes in. Because if you have a perfect standard and you all of a sudden engage with the reality of yourself as a person that is not perfect in any way and will never attain perfection, 
then you start to beat on yourself and that's where the shame is manifested because you're trying to force yourself emotionally to get to a point where you can meet that standard which is completely unbeatable it's just never going to happen but but you continue to abuse yourself uh, because you have that expectation of perfect that and that's where the fear kind of rises up and this is what Steve I think is working through yeah. in where your faith is at now because you're almost you're almost walking straight into that well, where, where does that come from like you where you're brave enough and, and again my hat's off to you for walking into that space because I think a lot of people don't do it that's not like what we were talking about the dealing with your shit episode I think that's where we deal with our shit right you walk straight into where, where, where did this get birthed out of you know like here's a, a the, the raft of dead monkeys uh, Jeff Becker the band had this this scene of the 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 monkey being given birth to in the film but, it's, but that's kind of almost a picture of that right like it's a this thing got this ugly view of myself or the ugly way I value myself got birthed out somewhere and going after the genesis of that is scary mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good yeah. and being vulnerable to bring it up in front of strangers who are supposed to love Jesus I think a lot of people just get blown out at church because they they're sick of being should and ought to on by religious people who tell them not to think that way or oh no you're valuable buddy you got the blood of Jesus on you didn't you say the prayer and you got the magic thing that should be good enough yeah. what's wrong with you let me back up and then it goes back to what's wrong with you <laughs> let me back it up in the symbol version so like I think you can introduce the idea of shame as a very young age let's say you're like eight years old and your parents are having a barbecue and your dad asks you to go get a bottle of bourbon and so you go inside and you come outside and you trip and you fall and you smash it on the patio and it breaks into a million bits in front of dad and all his friends and your dad either says oh hey are you alright and then when you show some sort of shame it's okay you're you know you're a kid you're a kid yeah. you, you've tripped we all do it and and you don't feel shame or you get shame yeah that was and, a $400 bottle of bourbon instead of and an expectation is yeah. set that 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 life doesn't allow for you to be human right. and then you need to hide it so that and, and you fear it happening again right. so it's almost the fear of shame is worse than the reality of shame often oh, because totally. you'll face the fear of shame yeah. way more frequently mm-hmm. than the reality yeah so then you move and now the ante's up now you're a religious person and you're in a community that, where there's an entire community of people that are pretending that God's working for them even though it's not <laughs> and but but but, 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 but everybody shows that they are until the moment that you're not until it's not working for you until it's not working for them whatever it is and then you get the people and my mom is like the worst at this it's what drives my wife crazy about my mother is she just starts spewing scripture as like a here's a fix it band-aid for your lack in this life if you just believed enough, if you just understood how God works enough, if you understood the what Jesus did for you enough, then you wouldn't fail in whatever way you're is failing. You would be empowered to succeed in whatever it is. And that's her ecclesiology. And she's armed with the sword of the spirit, aren't you? But but you're then now digging out spiritual <laughs> shame. 
Yeah. And that's way deeper because now you're cutting into my faith construct. What if it's not real? What if I'm not saved? What if God yeah. doesn't love me? What if I'm not good enough? What if, whatever weird what if you want to add to it. But that's way... I don't know if it's emotional. I had a grandmother that did that, dude, and I, I resonate with that. Because I think that's part of what where I got to at a pretty young age as a teenager just going, oh, well, I'm not... I was never in anyway, so I'm just going to hell, so I might as well, all of the, so it, it, I, I almost internalized all the criticism towards me. It's like, oh, I'm a fuck up. I'll wear that badge. I'll, I'll rock that motherfucker. <laughs> oh, man. You know, and that was really, that really didn't work out. But, well, shame is a, <laughs> you know, shame is a, is a, is a mental self-inflicted emotional pain. Right. And so it's because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter once you're old enough to realize that you're human, you make mistakes and you look at the incident with your dad where you drop something um, and any or whatever your first introduction to shame is if you can remember it or just the ongoing ones. When you grow up and realize, okay, no, I'm human. I shouldn't have been treated that way. I have nothing to feel bad about. I made a mistake. I tripped. Big deal. Um, when you start to diffuse that, and then you start to diffuse it in other people, and you say, like we were talking about, who are you to tell me this is the way the world works? When when it's now in your hands, you get to diffuse a lot of what the shame is. And then when it occurs, you go, why do I feel shame about this? I mean, and it can be something like that you're more volitional about. Like, yeah, I had a choice, and I made one, and now I regret it because... Clearly, in retrospect, it was the wrong choice. Yeah. Granted, if I'm honest with myself, I made the best choice in the moment with the knowledge I had and understanding I had at the time, but it turned out bad. Hmm. Am I forgiving myself for that? Yeah. My past self, the one who made that decision, the decision I feel shame about, is it, was it okay for me to do that? Do you have a story like that? Do you have something that impacted you as a kid where you felt somewhere where you were broadsided? When I called I you shameless by that occasion, I was kidding. I don't know why I had to throw that out there, but I just <laughs> my mind was like sitting over here going, I was joking when I said Misha was shameless by that's the way. That's what it means. That's saying. not what it, I had to do. I was just kidding. I was just joking. <laughs> I don't know why I was just <laughs> I just <laughs> what you were I can't, that's how my brain I can't was. remember something specific. Okay. But there was kind of a high standard just in our household. There's where, gotta where, be where the something, bar. man, where you felt like, oh, Fuck, this God hates me, or I've got to raise the bar and act better. Isn't there, there's got to be something somewhere in there. So there's two instances that I remember where I, but they were very, very relational. So they weren't like about a, a personal choice. It was more like the impact it had on a relationship. So uh, the first one, I, I was three and a half years older than my sister, and we got along great. Um... But there was one time she frustrated me so much, I punched her in the back. Mm. I'm three and a half years older. I was, I was, like, right. I was never a big kid. I, I, I was like Steve. I graduated high school with no weight on my body. I was a long-distance runner. But I was still way bigger than my sister, who was three and a half years younger than I am, who was also skinny as the day is long. And I hurt her. Mm. And I felt super, super bad. And it took me a long time to process how I could be driven to such frustration about someone that I cared so much about. And it was the first time I really wrestled with because I'm, I'm generally a fairly controlled, reserved person, and I don't really lose it like that very often, even as a kid. And so that was really challenging to me. And I, I, I felt ashamed that I lost it. Was theology thrown at you? 
No, because that happened in secret and nobody like yeah like we had a conversation i apologized profusely i felt shame didn't want my parents to know for whatever the hell they would do did those thoughts cross through your mind then sure yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. um and then the other one was later on in high school um because i'm old i had porn in magazine form uh, <laughs> I had oh, I had I left porn <laughs> out of the basement, and my sister found it oh, and wow. was like horrified. And she was young and hadn't that was her first introduction to it. And then she was mortified that her brother like used porn, and that was like her great introduction into porn. And so the, again, it was relational in, in relation to my sister, who I had a great relationship with. That she that that it affected our relationship. How old were you? Uh, like 17. What did it feel like? Were you like Christian kid, hyper kind of? Yeah, I mean, at that time. Yeah, got to be some shame there, probably. Um, what did it feel like? But see, that was a weird thing. Like, I, I think that I'm wired a lot differently than a lot of Christians. Maybe this is why I made a bad one. I never felt a lot of guilt and shame over sin so much. Like, the whole forgiveness thing seemed like to really ring true. And if it really, really was true, how could you really feel bad about it? Um, despite the logic circles that Paul tries well, to you talk you about. Whether you feel bad about it, well, I mean, is but, there... But so I never I never carried a lot of guilt, is what I'm saying. Right. But I'm um, asking, I don't, guilt, shame, who cares? But the relational part of my sister... You're talking about you're wired a certain way. But that wiring also deals with your emotions. It's like an incredible chunk of how you processed your thoughts around it. So you're giving me thoughts, but I want to know, like, what did it feel like? I sound like a fucking it, therapist. Well, it, I, I'm super curious about what that felt like. Well, it felt awful. I felt like I'm going to let my sister down. Yeah. It was, was gut-wrenching. Can you, can you define something for me? Because the two stories that you just told, the first one where you punch your sister in the back, like for, for me, if I had done something like that, I would have described that feeling of remorse as guilt. Whereas the second story with, with finding the porn, I would have defined that feeling as shame. And I'm trying to differentiate between the two and figure out what, what's, like, what's the difference between guilt and shame here. Because we're tossing around the two terms. Yeah, yeah. They're a, they overlap probably. That's a great question. No, I, a good I, question. Think, um, I think that guilt is a very legal term. Okay. And I think that shame is an emotional term. Mm. So uh, I think people feel some shame wrapped up in guilt. Um, but when I think of guilt as a little more formal, while shame has almost no formality, it just is a description of what it is. For me, shame is more, it globs onto your identity. Mm-hmm. Like shame is, you start to feel like this is who I am. And that was the or question. guilt is you did something bad. Yeah. So, and again, it was like the two, the reason they were, in my mind, while you hear them almost like descriptions of two separate words, mm-hmm. For me, it both had to do with the impact and relation I had with my sister. Right, right. Um, Wasn't it you offended God? Or it was about your sister. That's interesting. I think... Yeah. So, so something I've tossed around my head in terms of guilt and shame has been that guilt is realizing that your actions had some really negative consequences. Yeah, and that's a normal human emotion. And grieving through that. Like, boy, I did something and that turned out horribly. And and that just feels awful. And, and, I, and I feel like I'm obligated to, to fix it somehow. I can't fix it completely, but do something to fix it. So so I did an action and I, and I feel like I need to do another action to, to not fix it, but at least, you know, 
compensate for a little bit. And shame would be something is revealed about me that's really ugly from an identity standpoint. Like the and that's how you process yeah, like, that guilt. Is like all of a sudden my sister knows something about me that that makes me look not great. Right. And this is kind of this is kind of what I do. And, and kind of, you know, something that I was kind of hoping to keep quiet. And it's not necessarily, like, I didn't cause damage, per se. You just found out something about me that's ugly. I know you're going to look at me differently. Right. right. Yeah. And that shifted the relationship. And I'm the only guy you know that that's struggles the, with that. <laughs> that's where it globs onto your identity. That's that. That's what she, so, yeah, the, the psychologist would say, you know, guilt is a normal human function. We feel guilty. Shame says, I... I am guilty. I am bad. I did bad. We all do bad. But when you start to internalize that you are bad, sexual abuse um, survivors really struggle with this one because we're we're taught to cover it up, and that's you know where where I go with with that is I had to man I had to do a lot of work to un, undo my shame. Because I felt like I was shamed, you know. I, I should be ashamed because I am walking piece of shit shame, you know. Where I track with it, and Arthur used a good word, diffusion, is uh, I've, been, I've been working through this realization that I have a lot more self-loathing than I thought I did, you know. Like that's kind of just woven in me. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there's just a self-loathing that's kind of there. It, it's not like persistent. It's not constant, but but it, it's there for sure. Like like I, I feel it. Sometimes it it comes up to the surface, and um, a lot of us. Well, I mean, all of us, I think, have an inner critic, like a, a voice in in your head that spews out ideas or thoughts. And what happens sometimes is we become fused to those thoughts and that can manifest itself with just an internal angst or an internal sense of, of guilt or, or shame or I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I'm not, um, I, I, I don't know, just insert whatever deficient sort of feeling or thought that you want to. The, the problems aren't, it, it is never the thought in and of itself because you don't control what comes in your mind. I mean, you're... you're your brain uses thoughts all day long, and some of them are judgmental and self-critical. And you know the brain thinks much the way the lungs breathe or the eyes blink. It's just an you know, autonomic sort of thing that happens. But what happens is we, some of us, are more sensitive, and we latch onto those thoughts and we pull them down and we identify with them, and we we fuse with them and we start to embrace them as an identity when the correct way to approach them is just to let them go, just like any other thought, just any other crazy, irrational thing. But, oh, no, now all of a sudden, I thought this thought, and I, I'm believing it, and now that's manifesting itself in in my life as, as an actual belief, as an actual feeling, and now I have to deal with it. There's not always a story attached to it. There's not always a trauma attached to it. There's always a feeling attached to it. There is a feeling, and, okay. the, and the feeling comes with the fusion. The feeling comes with believing the thought that you otherwise would have just been better off just letting flow by. And uh, I've been working through some of that stuff. There's uh, 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 Psychologists call it cognitive diffusion, which is you know some techniques that you can employ to kind of diffuse from those sticky 
things that, that latch onto you and that kind of create some turmoil and identity and, and guilt and, and shame. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we all think stuff like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I suck. Oh, why, why did I do that? And, and when you really just pull that down, that can just wreak havoc on, on someone's soul. Yeah. Uh, so I've been working through some of that stuff. It, you know, uh, I've shared before, I mean, some of my stuff is, is pretty low-T trauma. That doesn't mean it's not persistent or it's not real or I don't feel things from it. But a lot of what I think I struggle with is just uh, believing my inner critic and latching on to, my, to those thoughts that I otherwise should just avoid and identifying with them. And so what I've been working toward actually pretty hard the past two years is just um, trying to defuse from those things. Not so, living in functional nirvana. <laughs> I wrote that note. Functional down. nirvana sounds pretty good. Well, well I think like, that's the not dealing with your shit place. Oh. Um, you know? Unpack that for me. Functional nirvana, what are you talking about? It's, it's kind of like shallow. I've heard some Eastern kind of new agey to use those words. I don't know. People that take some forms of Buddhism and, and, and just do what a lot of Christians do is make it real shallow. Oh, okay. Or, or should on you with like something like enlightenment. Like enlightenment's a triggery word for me, much sure. like biblical is. Like oh, Lord. biblical according to who, <laughs> right? Is usually my second question when somebody says biblical. Um, but I'll also say enlightenment according to who. Like what, what were you enlightened about? <clears throat> and I guess that's where I... And not that I'm, I'm trying to be a, a, a fucking psychologist or anything, but I, I start to ask the the big question that all the psychologists ask, like, how does that feel? Or what does that feel like? Or well, how does that make you feel? You, like mentioned, you, talk about you, that? you mentioned something like, like Buddhism. It's actually a lot of uh, techniques that modern psychology employs through techniques like mindfulness, which is pretty common. Right. But, but it, it's a great technique to watch your mind, to watch your brain, to see how your brain works, to feel what's actually in your body, to be aware of it. And that's actually a really useful tool to de- defuse from those thoughts and that inner critic and not to associate with it. Right. But, but I don't know if I have nirvana in view, per se. But, <laughs> you know, not, it's just something I wrote down <laughs> As a something that I, I processed. Um, JP Sears level Nirvana. JP, the big idea is you are not your thoughts. Right. You are not your thoughts, and and we become associated and attached to our thoughts, and to where they own us. And that was actually kind of like that was actually kind of like like a new thing for me to to realize when I first encountered that idea because we don't think of our mind as a separate entity or a separate thing. Like apart from ourselves, we tend to really associate with the mind for some reason. But you don't have control over the things that come in your head. But you don't latch on to every crazy idea that comes into your head either. I mean, you can be stuck in traffic, have some angry idea about you know mowing someone over, but you're not going to do it. You're not going to be disturbed that you have the thoughts. Like, oh, I'm just frustrated, whatever, I'll get over it. But a thought comes to your head like, man, I really suck. I'm really stupid. Why did I do that? Why, why am I so lame? Oh gosh, you start to believe that and attach to it. At least yeah, yeah. some of us are more prone to that, and so it's good to detach. It's like a it. consciousness thing. You're waking up to the fact that I just did that. Oh, where or did I that? just thought that. Or, yeah, and I don't exactly. need to believe what I just. And thought. then the feeling follows the thought. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then you, go, so it's, you get it's in trouble. Diffusing. I get. I get what that means. The feelings follow the thoughts. Yeah, and, and maybe we can encourage listeners in this episode that. Just be mindful of some of the, for the Christians that listen, the shallow ways we unpack something like the blood of Christ or 
the fact that you said a magic prayer and got, quote, saved, um, and how that should or ought to make you feel, and how you actually feel. Um, what's real? What's how real? How does it feel? Yeah. yeah. How, how does it feel? Where does the spark of value for yourself come from, or the creativity that you you do when you're doing, when you're in the zone, right? The, the, all of that is not there and present in, in those moments when you're at your most creative or your most feeling loved or valued. And we'll uh, close the episode there, I guess. Anybody, last words? I don't know. I haven't heard from Chuck or Derek. <laughs> you heard from me. Yeah, I guess that's oh, right. Chuck, yeah. land the plane. Land the plane. <laughs> Amen. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <clears throat> it's hard for me. Um, I really didn't want to talk about this at all. Uh, just because I'm in it right now. Mm. Fucking between shame and embarrassment and all that. Yeah, and it's... I've realized, though, that it's getting easier by being mindful. You know, and so it's... I. It seems like I always have those thoughts of you're worthless, you're, you know, you asked for it, you did whatever, uh, you're a piece of shit, and I've, I've always latched onto them, and that's, what's really hard is when, you know, the self-affirmations that yeah. you're supposed to be doing, and it's, I still always bring it up that it's just self-help bullshit, um, but it, maybe it's not, you know, because it's, if I'm identifying with the craft, then why can't I identify with the, the, the good parts stuff, of you know, who I really am, or why am I identifying with the shitty thoughts that I have? Yeah. And I had that too, you know, even those thoughts of, oh, this is just self-help bullshit, like, why are we doing affirmation? But then I realized my proclivity to shit on myself. Because just the other night we were sharing something on we do a chat group where we talk about stuff and I was just, I, I went, I went there. Like I let myself say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not an agenda relationship person, you know? Cause that's what the, the dark passenger side of me would say, you're just, Oh, you're just, you have an agenda. Like that's what you're doing. Russ. look at you, you piece of shit. Like, wait, no, no, I do have value. I do value people past whatever thing I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And thanks for listening to Punk Theology. PunkTheology.com uh, Social media. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Bye. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way of how you look and how you act and how you think pretend they're not the same as you? And do you know about his strength and conviction of how she puts all her faith in religion? Did we take the time to really discover Many great tunes on the Punk Theology playlist on Spotify. You can link to that through punktheology.com. And would you leave a review of this podcast, man? If you're still listening, we'd so appreciate that on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you hear podcasts. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, LLC. Boom.